If you want to follow me on Twitter, just visit moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. I'm also on Facebook at Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N. The show blog is getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. And if you'd like to find out about being a guest, just send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at KUCI.org. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Standing by to join us is Ronald Rail, author of Border Wall is Architecture, a Manifesto for the U.S.-Mexico Boundary. Good morning, Ronald. Good morning. Thanks for calling in. L- good. How are you today? I'm great. I thought I heard a little wind, so now I don't hear any. That's good. Yes, I stopped. <laughs> That's okay. So tell me, how did you decide to write this book? Well, I had been working on the border in Texas for a number of years, and it was during the escalation of the construction and implementation of the wall, and I thought that from an architect's perspective, it was interesting to think about the spaces that that wall would transform and affect. Mm-hmm. And so I began to just begin to collect stories and, and visit the wall construction, but also because I'm an architect and designer, begin to speculate on how those landscapes might be repaired uh, and const- with construction and design that could go alongside the construction of the wall. Because fundamentally, there was no way I could stop the wall. It was already in motion. Sure. But what could be done alongside the wall to ameliorate its consequences? And so then I did a series of drawings of models, mm-hmm. wrote stories, collected stories, and that's how the book began. I find it so intriguing that this book is described as an artistic and an intellectual hand grenade of a book and a timely re-examination of what the physical barrier that divides the U.S. of America from the United Mexican states and what it could be. So you're seeing this in a whole different perspective. Yes, I'm I'm not an advocate for new wall construction. Right. And most people are thinking about new wall construction, whether they're opposed to it or in favor of it. Mm-hmm. And certainly Donald Trump has brought that to the fore. But I'm more of an advocate of thinking about how the 650 miles of wall that are already in place might be reconsidered. And in the stories that I tell and collect, I see that there are surprising and interesting ways that the wall in its current manifestation <clears throat> may present opportunities to bring people together in really remarkable ways. And we've seen how people along the border have had binational volleyball games and yoga classes, Mm -hmm. uh, religious ceremonies. And so the wall has served as an attractor. And I think that those steps that people are making to come together on the wall are fundamentally one of the first steps in dismantling the wall. I noticed, uh, as I was reviewing the book, you even have things like wastewater treatment wall. I mean, the things that people probably had never even imagined. Well, yes, I, I did a an examination of the budgets that these walls cost. And they're incredibly expensive because they're government contracts and you know they can cost up to $16 million per mile. Wow. And so I simply took those calculations and said, well, what else can $16 million per mile buy? And what's important in particular areas along the border that would uh, present massive change? And so in terms of the wastewater treatment wall, that was an idea to reexamine the cost of the wall that designed that divides Mexicali from Calexico, mm-hmm. and to recognize that the most polluted river in the United States comes in 
at that very moment. The wall actually opens up and welcomes that river into the United States. And so that budget could have been used instead to build a wastewater treatment plant to handle that affluent. Makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the I, stories, you go ahead. You know, the stories range from what I would call very pragmatic solutions to uh, kind of hyperboles of stories that already exist, kind of souvenirs of, of memories of the time that a wall was there and what people did to engage that wall. And looking at the wall in a very artistic way, whether it's the theater wall, the library wall, I mean, these are really incredible ideas. Yeah, the, the theater wall was actually realized just a couple of weeks ago in the city of Douglas, in the cities of Douglas, Arizona, and Agua Prieta. They actually held a binational performance where there were performers on both sides and the audience was on both sides. And they were enjoying a festival that brought people together. So, uh, you know, that I did a series of drawings and speculations about what it would mean to have such a performance that brought people together. But that was all already based on an opera house that exists on the U.S.-Canadian border, oh. where the seats are on one side and the stage is in another. How interesting. I know I love all these ideas, the wildlife wall. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Well, of course, wildlife is drastically affected by the wall, and scientists have found that the construction of the wall is even... Um, transforming the genetic makeup of animals, and they're becoming less, less genetically diverse because they cannot migrate to historic breeding grounds. And so the, the wall also presents even a problem for some birds who do not fly higher than the wall is actually constructed because the wall is also illuminated 24 hours a day. It disrupts animals' nocturnal cycles, especially nocturnal, nocturnal animals. So the, the idea of the wildlife wall is, is really a story about how wildlife is affected by the wall, but it's also mm -hmm. a drawing that suggests that perhaps in the same way that we see zoos as trapping animals in and uh, we observe them, maybe what's actually happening at the wall is we're in fact uh, walling in ourselves as a nation rather mm -hmm. than building a wall that suggests some symbol of security. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, interesting how you bring up that the greatest concern, however, is that the barrier will break already small populations of animals into even smaller groups. Yes, exactly. I mean, the, the wall is blocking uh, migratory paths to feeding grounds, access to water, but also the wall is heavily patrolled, and the way the wall is patrolled is that uh, Border Patrol vehicles drag enormous tires behind the vehicles, denuding the landscape, really pulverizing that desert uh, environment into a kind of fine dust and also every animal in its, in its wake. And so it's, it has enormous environmental consequences. It, one, one, one wouldn't think so. One thinks about it as, oh, is this a wall? Is this a fence? But actually, it's, it is really a great barrier that has much more spatial consequences. And this is why I call the book Border Walls Architecture, because Architects don't really design walls. They design the spaces around them and between them. And this wall is creating a huge spatial transformation on both sides of the wall. Yes. It re it's, it's really a fascinating book. W what are some of the things you've heard, some feedback perhaps, about the book? You know, I, I recognize that the book is 
um, contentious mm-hmm. and but I think I've heard a lot of positive response and especially from border communities I find that and and it's maybe I thought it might be surprising but but maybe not but from the architecture community I often hear that oh well any any let's say any time that one is engaging a structure of violence like that you are that you are thus condoning its violence by advocating it but I tended to disagree with that because I felt like what was happening is that architects were ignoring what is fundamentally the largest construction project in the 21st century, which just seemed odd to me. Yes. And so, again, I, I don't condone the construction of new walls, but I think it's a, it's a, fascinating, uh, it's a, it's a fascinating piece of architecture and construction that architects should think about. And I think they could think about it in a number of ways, but... That's, that's often the criticism I get from the architecture community. Like, why are you engaging in the wall? The wall, the only, the only solution for the wall is its complete dismantling if they come from a, a, a particular position. Mm-hmm. And I say that as an architect, it would be incredibly uh, unfortunate if someone only imagined it dismantling but didn't imagine what would come after because it's, it would create an enormous scar in the landscape. And I think there's much healing to do, uh, and uh, through design, how one stitches communities and ecologies back together after the dismantling of the wall, and and therein lies what I think is the biggest opportunity. And I also feel like you're saying you don't see the wall coming down, so how do we work with this and and reimagine it? Exactly, and I'm taking, let's say, various positions. I actually think in some of my propositions, I suggest the wall comes down. And I'll also say at the same time, the book is full of ironies, because there's enormous irony surrounding the wall itself. It's an incredible engineering and military structure mm-hmm. that can be overcome in five minutes. And Homeland Security recognizes that, because they said, well, five minutes exponentially increases our ability to capture someone crossing illegally. Okay. So therein lies the irony, right? It's enormously expensive. It's, it's symbolic. It has this great visual power. Yes. But yet, someone can cross it very quickly. And so in some of my proposals, I make suggestions that it should be dismantled and offer what should go in its place. For example, the cactus wall. Mm-hmm. And the cactus wall isn't intended to say, let's make walls of cacti to, because that will prevent people from crossing because of the needles and thorns. It's really to say, well, if we dismantle the wall that was constructed in one of our national wildernesses, we'll have to do some intensive replanting to uh, restore that landscape uh, of rare cactus species in that very delicate landscape. And so therein lies the irony again. Does one construct something that is a natural barrier because they're dismantling something that's an artificial barrier? And so it, it's open to a lot of questions. It's not always saying, well, this is a pragmatic solution. It's saying, boy, this is sure a crazy conundrum that we've gotten ourselves into, spending enormous amounts of money and resources. And in other cases, I say, well, I see people coming together, and the wall might serve as an opportunity. It's an enormous amount of material that was brought to the border, mm-hmm. and removing it from that landscape is going to be incredibly difficult. Could that material be repurposed in some way? to, again, ameliorate its own consequences. And so these are the kinds of questions that I'm asking in the book. And the section in the back afterwards, 
I do want to mention, you bring up some great points. Three of the ten poorest countries in the United States are located in the border area, and two of the ten fastest-growing metropolitan areas in the United States, is it Laredo and McAllen, are located on the Texas-Mexico border. Right. And so what's important here is to think about the amount of investments that is going into the borderlands currently. Mm-hmm. And that's for the construction of the wall. Right? The, the president is advocating for billions, if not trillions of dollars to be funneled towards the borderlands. But for the construction of a wall, and it seems incredibly, like an incredible missed opportunity. Yes. Why can we not uh, make that kind of investment in those borderlands uh, to make a transformative environment that bring security and safety to those regions in other ways. Imagine if we spent that kind of money constructing libraries and hospitals and renewable energy along the border. That's, yes. that's really the questions that are being asked here. Before we wrap up, Ronald, uh, I do want to mention you're associate professor in the Departments of Architecture and Art Practice at the University of California, Berkeley. You're author of Earth Architecture, a history of building with earth in the modern era that exemplifies new creative uses of the oldest building material on the planet. The Museum of Modern Art and the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum have recognized your work. And in 2014, uh, tell me, you ha- I'm, I'm not sure I'm reading this right, uh, you have a creative practice that was named as an emerging voice by the Architectural League of New York. That's fantastic. Thank you. What would you like to do next? Are, are you, you're probably working on a lot of things. Well, well, we are, and we're hoping to work with uh, border communities to maybe construct some of these scenarios, and that, that would be my hope. I think there, I'm finding that there are a number of places on, on the border that are supporting art and design as a means of activism, mm-hmm. and rather than these visions remaining on paper, perhaps they could be implemented on the border wall and bring people together. Fantastic. Uh, tell me where people can find out more about you, because we have to wrap up. I do have a website, borderwallisarchitecture.com. People can come there to find a little bit more about the book and even buy the book. Fantastic. Thank you so much for calling into the show. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Ronald Real talking about his book, Border Wall is Architecture, a manifesto for the U.S.-Mexico boundary. If you missed any part of this, it will be up on my show blog right now I have his bio and all the info about the book on there right now get the funk out show org. I do want to mention that KUCI is on Twitter at KUCI FM we're on Instagram at KUCI FM we're on Tumblr blog.kuci.org and we are on Facebook at KUCI 88.9 and I am on Twitter at moms M-O-M-Z underscore rock we'll take a little break and then we'll be back With a few more guests, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.